had to go get a bunch of Halloween supplies like three days before Halloween and we're scrambling to get a, a few things so I run into Dollar General to get some Halloween decorations three days before Halloween they're already gone right that's how early we celebrate Christmas the entire Halloween section had been taken over by Christmas already and there was just this little like shelf with the remnants of Halloween and then Christmas had exploded all over the store they were already playing Christmas music and everything because this time of year everybody goes nuts about Christmas they love it every big town every small town is decorated for Christmas it's already decorated when you go to right the Rockefeller Center uh, you, you got the, the Christmas trees already up in the middle of New York. Fast fact, a Carmen picked that tree out for years. My cousin who lives in New York, that was her, one of her jobs as she works at the Rockefeller Center. But that's besides the point. I just like, wanted to brag about my family for a second. But every small town is also decorated for Christmas. Just like Marietta, we've already had our Christmas Day parade. I haven't been across the Williamstown Bridge yet, but I bet you the, those wreaths are up right now. Are they? Did you pass them on the way here? I haven't, haven't been across that bridge yet. But we are decorated all over the place for Christmas. Even in public schools, we put all political correctness aside for that one magical month a year. It's okay to have Christmas parties and Christmas celebrations. I've sat in this auditorium and heard Christmas songs sang. And I'm like, are we doing this? Is this okay? There's a lot of Christian doctrine in that song they're singing. But all over, all over the nation in public schools, it's, it's just like we press pause for a minute and we, and we sing these Christmas carols or Christmas hymns that are deeply rooted in Christian doctrine. You know, you got to be careful the rest of the year at your FCA meeting, but it's December, it's okay. We can say certain things and sing certain songs, and hey, don't be grumpy about it. Cheer up, dude, it's Christmas, right? I mean, that's just kind of our posture, right, when it comes to this time of year. I can't even hardly think of a single human being in my life, or even in the vicinity of my life, regardless of their worldview, they will give and receive Christmas gifts this time of year. They may be anti-Christian all year long. They may be anti-Christian morals. They may be anti-Bible, anti-church. But when Christmas arrives, they're ready to participate. They're ready to show up to the Christmas service. They're ready to go to the gift exchanges. They're ready to gather around the Christmas tree and even decorate their own house with, with so many Christian symbols and things like that. So am I to believe that this time of year everyone is suddenly Christian? Like from December 1st to December 25th, there's been a mass conversion of Christians in our society, or, or rather from October 31st to December 25th, there's been a mass conversion of Christians? Well, of course not, right? Of course not. We don't believe that everybody is, is Christian, right? Uh, maybe they're a little less judgy towards the Christian faith during December because they like a lot of the traditions that accompany this time of year, but I don't think that we're celebrating the same holiday at all, uh, honestly. I, I think if we're truly being honest, there are two holidays every December. There's the secular Christian, or I'm sorry, the, the secular Christmas with its meanings, and there are several. And then there's the Christian Christmas that takes place with its singular meaning. I mean, what informs the secular Christmas? Well, I, 
Maybe the movies inform the, the beliefs of secular Christmas, right? If we listen to or watch movies like Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life, it, the meaning of Christmas is about be- sacrifice, about loving others and taking care of people and being giving, being generous. If we watch Christmas Vacation, which uh, someone told me they've already watched it several times. I think Tony told me he's already on number two, right? He's already watched it twice. <laughs> What's, what, what does that tell us about Christmas? Well, it's about recreating, you know, sentimental fa- family gatherings at all costs. The Grinch that stole Christmas tells us that Christmas is about our loved ones. It's uh, about being together. It's not about packages, boxes, or bags or, or whatever, right? Elf is about spreading Christmas cheer, and the best way to sing Christmas cheer, spread Christmas cheer, singing loud for all to hear. I know several of you have already watched that multiple times up to this point. Home Alone is one of my personal favorites, right? What does that, what, what's that t- teach us about Christmas? Well, it teaches us that it's, a, it's about difficult family situations and shooting bad guys with BB guns, right? <laughs> I mean, for me, secular Christmas has not begun until Macaulay Culkin has shot Joe Pesci with the BB gun through the dog door, which they don't have a dog, but they got a dog door. But anyway, I, this time of year, if, if it's informed by the, the Christmas movies that are out there that are our favorites, it's about everything that's good. It's about happiness and fun and togetherness and snowball fights and presents and jingle bells and old Saint Nick. That's what Christmas is about. And I'll, I'll admit, I like secular Christmas. I, I, I can't act like I, like I don't. I watch every single one of those movies, and it's fun. And I, when I get together with my family at Christmas, we'll get all the kids together and watch Home Alone or something like that, and we'll have our stockings and everything. And there's a lot of those traditions I've, grow, I've grown up doing myself, and they're a lot of fun. Secular Christmas is fun. But I like secular Christmas for the same reason I like a lot of other holidays in our culture. Like I like New Year's Day, or New Year's Eve rather. That's funner than New Year's Day. New Year's Day is just for sleeping mostly. But I like Labor Day because I don't have to work. I mean, I like a lot of these holidays and I like secular Christmas too. So I'm not going to pretend like I don't like a lot of these traditions. And I'm not going to pretend like like I'm I'm not going to stand up here and be negative about all of that stuff. And say that we shouldn't participate in any of that stuff because it's all wrong and it's not about the true meaning of Christmas. It's just part of our culture, part of our society, and there can be a lot of fun in it. But if you stripped all of that away, if you took all of those fun elements that we think of, if you got rid of all the Christmas trees, if you got rid of all the Christmas specials, all the Christmas movies, all the candy canes, the stockings, the shopping, you got rid of... Bing Crosby and Mariah Carey, (laughs) if you got rid of all the light displays, if you got rid of all the figgy pudding, I don't think we'd be missing anything. Honestly, if figgy pudding was gone, I still don't know what it is. But what would be left? Well, according to the Christian, everything is still intact to celebrate Christmas. If all of that is gone, if all of that disappears, we still have everything we need to get excited and to celebrate Advent season this year. Because it's a totally different holiday. The, the Christian Christmas is just something entirely different, I think, than the secular Christmas. If you really want to get to the root of the meaning of Christian Christmas, it's encapsulated in a word, Advent. 
We call this time of year Advent season. Pastors all across the globe are beginning their Advent series right now. They have their Advent candles, and the, they, they have families coming up to read about those Advent candles, and they're lighting those candles, and, and that's just part of the tradition of this time of year. I actually had lunch with a group of pastors last week, and we went around the table. What are you preaching for Advent this year? And, and it got to me, what, what are you doing for Advent? I'm like, talking about Advent? <laughs> right? It's, it's Advent season. We're going to pre preach Advent sermons. But if you're like me, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but growing up in church and lighting countless Advent candles and looking at countless Advent calendars, I never knew what the word Advent meant for like my whole childhood. What's Advent? Right? I, I was in my 20s, I think, before I had the courage to ask somebody, what's Advent? <laughs> what's, what's that mean? And, and if you understand Advent, you can start to get to the true meaning of Christian Christmas. And so that's, that's one edge that secular Christmas has over Christian Christmas. They stick to English words, and, and that's my favorite language. So if you, if you use English words, I'm always going to be on the same page as you because I love English. But when you start introducing Latin words, you're going to lose me. You're going to lose most people because we're not speaking Latin. But let's, let's think about that word Advent. It is a Latin word. Let's do a little study of uh, words here, etymology, one of my favorite things. Ad, the first part of Advent, is ad is to, veneer is actually the root of that word. Come, to come, so adveneer, to come, adventus is the Latin word in its fullness, and it means arrival. That's what the word Advent means, and so that's why we are calling this sermon series Arrival, because none of you speak Latin, and I wanted to get to the meaning of this, right? I want to spend some time defining what Advent truly is. We're, we're celebrating the arrival. The arrival of who? Well, of course, Jesus, the, the Messiah, the Christ. He is the anointed one. That's what those words mean. You know, I think it's important to define these words over and over. Repetitive, you know, repetition is how we learn things. And so the Messiah is, is, is how the anointed one is referred to in Hebrew. And Christ is just the Greek version of the, of the, the anointed one. So the, the arrival of this anticipated Messiah or Christ, that's what we're studying. So in the Christian faith, historically, this time of year has been Advent season. We have historically celebrated two arrivals. Because when you think of the Christian faith, there are two Advents that are a big deal in our faith. The first Advent or the first arrival is the birth of Christ. The second Advent or second arrival has yet to happen. It is the return of Christ that we anticipate Right? And so this time of year, historically, when Christians first started uh, celebrating Advent season this time of year, they would celebrate both Advents. So the first two Sundays in Advent season, in December, Christians would talk about the return of Christ. They would look forward to that day that Christ would return and claim his own and redeem us in, in, in the fullest sense and, and make all things new, have a new creation. And so the first two Sundays of Advent would focus on that, and the last two Sundays of Advent would focus on his first Advent, the arrival, his birth. And so eventually over time, well, the, the first Advent took over. And so now all four weeks we talk about the arrival of Christ and his first arrival, his birth into this world. 
So why did they pick this time of year? I mean, if you're a, a Christian back in the day, you could celebrate Christmas any time of year. You could celebrate Advent season any time of year. Why this time of year? Why did they choose this time of year? Well, it wasn't because we know Jesus' birthday was December 25th. We know that that is not why we chose this time of year. We don't know the exact date that Jesus was born. We don't know his birthday. Uh, but this time of year was actually chosen because of how dark it is outside for most of us. <laughs> okay, uh, this is because of the December solstice, right? It's the shortest. The days are, are getting shorter and shorter in terms of daylight. Like, and then you throw daylight savings time on top of that. Like, I'm like, how much daylight are we trying to save? I can't see anything outside. It's dark. Like, uh, but we chose Christians chose to celebrate the first Advent and the second Advent. We chose to, this time of year because of how dark it is. Because all the Christians back when we decided this were evidently in the northern hemisphere. <laughs> so we know that if you live in the southern hemisphere, it's the longest day. It's the brightest time of year. Uh, but, you know, most land mass is in the northern hemisphere. And, and so it made, it made sense. That's the darkest, darkest time of the year for most Christians. And so, you know, it's dark by 5 o'clock. But we wanted specifically to emphasize Jesus during the darkest season of the year the darkest days of the year why would we want to do that well because if you want to emphasize light it's better to do it in the darkness and so if we go out in broad daylight and light our silent night candles it's not going to look as impressive as it would if you had uh, darkness outside if you go out uh, after the sun has set and it's dark and you light your candle you can notice the candle more and so Christians chose this time of year now there's a lot of other pagan celebrations and other things that were taking place that time of year anyway but Christians said hey let's do our own celebration this time of year it's dark outside we want to emphasize the light in the darkness because Jesus is the light one of the clearest places to see this darkness and light themes is in the beginning of the gospel of John so if you've already marked that spot, I just want to read to you today the first 14 verses of the Gospel of John where you can really see this dark and light theme and what it teaches us about God and who he is and what Jesus came to do when he arrived in this world. John's Gospel starts like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, see how that complements kind of what we were reading in Colossians there in our response to reading it earlier. John goes on, there, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Speaking of John the Baptist's role as the forerunner of the Christ. Let's continue in verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor 
of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if you want to understand Advent season, Advent season in a nutshell is what it says there in the first paragraph of, or the second paragraph in John. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. That's Advent season in a nutshell. The true reason we are celebrating this month and celebrating Advent season is because we are celebrating the true light entering the darkness. Of course, we know that Jesus even referred to himself as the light. Remember in John chapter 8, Jesus said again, uh, it says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. What a big statement to say that he is the light. Well, of course, we know that God is light. And Jesus, as the Son of God, part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, they, they are all co-equally God. And if God is light, then Jesus is light. Because if that's true of God the Father, it's true of God the Son. This is the message we have heard from him. This is in 1 John, speaking of Jesus, and to proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So opposed to the darkness of this world, God is perfectly light. What does that mean? He is light. It's, it's meaning that he is perfectly good. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. He is light. There's no darkness in God whatsoever in the sense that there is no evil in him. There is no bad in him whatsoever. That's how this darkness and light theme is used in scripture. And of course, when we think of Jesus, he is the light of men. He, when he entered the darkness, there, there was no bad in him, no evil in him whatsoever. He is also perfectly good, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. So God is light, and he is entering the darkness. That's what we're to think about this time of year. So what is the darkness, though? Why is the world dark? Well, it's this darkness of the world that necessitates the arrival of light. That's what we think of in, in Advent season. It's what this darkness is, is the, it's, it's sin. It's the corruptness of this world. It's the brokenness of this world, the, the sinfulness of man. And so if you really want to celebrate Advent season in the Christian sense, you want to celebrate Christian Christmas, you have to have an appreciation and an understanding of the ugliness of sin. If you want to understand the beauty of Christ, you've got to understand the ugliness of sin. If you want to understand how amazing this light is, you've got to understand how awful this darkness is. We have to be honest about sin. The reason Jesus arrived, the reason why he entered his creation to redeem us, is to deal with this sin, to cure it in us. So, there's a sense in which sin is the reason for the season. That's why Jesus had to come. Now, I don't advise putting that on a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, don't skip to that. But that's, that's why. Sin is the reason for the season. Sin is the reason Jesus entered his creation. So if you really want to understand and appreciate Advent season, you really want to celebrate Christian Christmas, you really have to have a good grasp of what sin is. So what is sin? It's lawlessness. It's disobedience. The, 
the, the, the easiest summary in Scripture is in 1 John 3, 4. Sin is lawlessness. It's rejecting God's ways. It's disobeying him. It's living against his will. God says you should do this. You think about that and figure, no, I'm going to do that. And when you, do, when you decide to that, that is sin. I mean, sin, is, sin can be living with an awareness of God and just choosing to live beyond his boundaries. Just not taking his rules and his laws serious and, and living in opposition to him. Or sin can be living as if there is no God at all and just doing whatever you want because you decide you're the standard. He's not the standard. He doesn't exist, so I'm the standard. That is sin. And so when we commit a sin, though, because God in reality is the standard for what is good and he is only light, when we commit a sin, it's always ultimately against him. It's rebelling against him. He is saying we should live this way, but when we choose to live that way, it's a rebellion against that which is perfectly good. He who is perfectly holy. It's rejecting the light, and it's choosing darkness instead. So we see this in, in, the, in the Psalms, whenever David, whenever he, he sinned with Bathsheba, you know, he sinned against her, but ultimately it was with, against God because God said, don't live like that. Don't do these things. Don't live like that. Well, David decided to do those things anyway. King David decided to break the law, decided to live in opposition to God, decided to go his own way. And so he sinned against Bathsheba when he did that, but ultimately it was against God who told him not to live that way. And so in the Psalms, you'll see David write, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Because all sin, no matter how big or small, is ultimately against him who is perfectly righteous. He doesn't want us to live that way, but when we do anyway, we're choosing sin. And since all sin is ultimately against God, he hates it. When you think, when someone sins against you, do you like that? When, when people sin against you, no one's like, oh, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Boy, I love it when you sin against me. No, we don't act like that, right? When someone sins against us, we hate it. We get mad at them. We can't stand the fact that they sinned against us. Well, God is similar to us in that way, and that ultimately when we choose to sin, we're sinning against him, and he hates it. He hates sin. We don't typically think of God hating things, do we? We say, well, hey, God is love. Easy on the whole hate speech there. Well, yeah, he is love, and because he is love, he's going to hate sin, because that's what true love does. Hating sin is the loving thing to do. Loving sin would be the hateful thing to do. You ever take the time to think of the sin in your life as something that God hates? That really puts a different spin on things, right? But that's how the Bible teaches us to think about it. See, a lot of times when we sin, we think, well, hey, it's my life, it's my sin, and it only, it only affects me. But it never works out like that. That's never, that's never reality. We always think our sin only affects us, but it affects everything. It affects everyone around us. And God hates it. God hates it. You know, when I, when I sin, say, against my wife, and I don't treat her like I should, you know, the fact that she doesn't like that sin, that affects how I deal with my sin, right? I don't want her to feel that way. I don't like the way that my sin impacted her, and so I'm going to stop doing that 
because I want her to not be affected by my sin in that way. And so we, we think of that with everybody in our life when we sin against them and, and we, we repent of those sins because we feel awful about the way that we treated them and how it made them feel. Well, then how much more so should we have that feeling towards God? God hates your sin. He hates it. He despises it. When you, when you sin, we're, we're, we're to make this personal connection between us and our creator. And we are to consider how he is perfectly righteous and how when we sin, we are actively rebelling against him. We are saying, no, we are rejecting him. When you read through the Psalms, you see so much of this. Listen to Psalm 5, verse 4. It says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Evil can't dwell with God. He's, he's perfectly light. He's, he's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly holy. You see the problem that that creates, the dilemma that that creates for you and I? Because you and I can't stop sinning. We try to be good. We try to be better. But we still continue to sin. And evil may not dwell with God. So if God hates sin and evil can't dwell with him, what am I going to do about that? How can I remedy that? Well, this is why we're celebrating Advent. The Christian Christmas says this. Jesus arrived to solve that problem. He arrived to solve the sin problem that you and I have. Is that the Advent season that you're celebrating? Is that the Christmas that you are celebrating this Christmas season? You should be celebrating that, right? You should be celebrating that because you can't solve that problem. People have tried and tried and tried to solve that problem, and they can't solve the sin problem. Again, well, God is perfect, and I am not perfect. The secular way to say that is to err is human, right? Well, the Christian way to understand that is we sin because we're sinners. That's who we are. We, we, uh, we have a sin problem. And so when we go study our Bibles, we don't study our Bibles in the, in, in the hopes that we can, you know, again, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and become good enough for God to love us. That's not what the Bible says. That's not, that's not what happens in the Bible. The Bible is not a book about people who messed up and then got their act together enough for God to love them again. That is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is about a group of people who messed up and they couldn't ever get their act together no matter how much they tried. Over and over and over again, they just kept rebelling they might have moments of greatness. They might have moments in which they do some good. But eventually they just keep rebelling again. And then God shows them grace. That's what we read in the Bible. And when we get to Jesus, he is the embodiment of that grace. He is the greatest expression of that grace. You and I are just like the people in the Bible. We have a sin nature and we can't stop sinning. And we need grace. The biblical diagnosis for the human heart is that there's nothing that we can do to change our sin nature. We were born sinful, and we also choose to sin in addition to being born sinful. What can we do about it? We can't do anything about it. We can't fix it. We can't fix it. We need something beyond ourselves to fix that. So, for example, like if you went back in the Old Testament days and you talked to the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He, he, he was quite the whiner. <laughs> but if you went to him and said, Jeremiah, what can I do about my sin? 
what can I do so that I can just do good from now on? He would say something like this, and I'm quoting him. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Say, oh, you want to do good? Well, if you can change your skin color, then, uh, then maybe you got the ability to also start doing nothing but good and not do evil anymore. You can, do, you can stop doing evil and start doing nothing but good just like a leopard can change the spots in his fur. You can't. There are rhetorical questions, right? A leopard can't change his spots. But when we read the message of the Bible, here it is. A leopard can't change his spots, but God can change the leopard. That is the gospel message. God can change us. God can do something about our sin dilemma. God can do something to cure the problem that exists between a sinful heart and a perfectly holy God. It is Jesus, and that is what he came to do. That's what he arrived to accomplish, to fix our sin problem. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So you need to fully accept what he's about to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know Jesus, his name is what he came to do. Salvation is literally his name. So we know the story of Mary and Joseph and we know that she... Uh, that a, a child was conceived in her through the Holy Spirit and Joseph who was betrothed to Mary upon finding out that she was pregnant he resolved to divorce her quietly they weren't married yet but a betrothal was seen like something really strong in their culture just like a, a marriage if you were betrothed to someone it, you would have been viewed at, that couple would have been viewed by the rest of society as as a marriage it just it hasn't been consummated yet and so it wasn't until the husband would go prepare the home and be ready to sustain his family that he would come back and claim his bride and, and they would consummate their marriage and, and, and they would be officially married. But if you broke off the betrothal, it was such a big deal that they viewed that as a divorce. And so he was going to divorce her quietly, not to put her to shame, not to drag her out in the streets and have her stoned or anything like that. And an angel of the Lord visited Joseph and I bet you he was the type of guy that short of an angel of the Lord visiting him he was going to divorce Mary and in a dream an angel of the Lord instructed him to take Mary as his as his wife told him what the situation was but he said instructed him to do something else very specific you shall call his name Jesus Joseph you don't get to name this child here's what you're to name this child we're telling you, name him Jesus. Why? Let me finish the verse. This is in Matthew 121. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The meaning of the, of the name Jesus is what Jesus came to do. It's what he arrived to do. Jesus is just the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. So if, if your name Joshua... Well, you, you're, it's the same as Jesus. Joshua means Yahweh saves or God saves. And so this angel of the Lord was instructing Joseph, you need to name this, this child Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And so Advent season, this time of year, it, it teaches us 
how God saved us from our sins. He did this by sending his only son. He did this to save us from our sins. Jesus arrived and lived a life free from sin. Jesus arrived to die on a cross for our sin. And he sent us the Holy Spirit so that we can have a new nature. Not so that we can become good enough to fix ourselves because we've been fixed. We are a work in progress for Christians. We are being worked on from one degree to the next. We're, we're justified because of Christ, but we're still, a, we're still a work in progress. We're being sanctified. And that, sanctifi that sanctification will, will be complete upon the second arrival of Christ, the second advent. And so that's what we're celebrating, the arrival of Jesus and what it means for us. We are saved from our sins. Our biggest problem has been resolved. So I invite you, during this Advent season, you may get distracted by so many Christmas songs. You may get distracted by so many secular Christmas traditions. I'm not saying don't participate in any, in any of that. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. I'm saying just make sure that you spread true Christmas cheer, true Christian hope, true Christian love and peace by sharing the gospel with people you love how can you share that truth this time of year we go out of our way shopping in department stores and, and everything else and online and getting presents for everybody in our entire lives and we got to make sure that we spend just the right amount on everybody oh i spent too much on this kid now i gotta buy this kid more we we like we, we sweat bullets just oh, i hope everybody feels like i love and appreciate them the same but how much are we wrapped up and true, truly sharing our hope this Advent season. Share the hope of Christ. Share the hope of the gospel. Let's lock arms as a church and invite people to this truth, the true meaning of Christmas. Let's make it a part of our identity. Let's make it a part of who we are and how we live and how we talk and how we act. Let's share this hope because we want to share our faith and be obedient. That's what God has called us to do and we're able to do this because of what he's done for us let's pray and we'll continue our celebration this advent lord i thank you for this church family and being able to uh, look into your word and and truly come back to what's most important this time of year like so many so many sources are trying to inform us of what this time of year is to be about but lord we want to make sure that the bible your word is where we go to define what this time of year means. Lord, as we go into this time of communion, help us to remember what you arrived to do. You arrived to provide the righteousness that we don't have. You gave us the light. You are the light. Lord, you arrived to die a sinner's death on a cross. You didn't commit any sins. You died for our sins. Help us to remember that. That's what you came to do. Lord, as we walk into this time of communion, I pray that we would feel conviction. I pray that you would grant us repentance. And Lord, that we could really draw close to the hope and the love and the joy and peace that you've given us this time of year. In Jesus' name we pray. Mm -hmm.